Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. This is part two on building, consolidating, and selling the entertainment industry with Summer Watson. Summer and I met at the Music Tectonics Conference back in October, where she was on a panel sharing her perspective on the future of the music and gaming business. With extensive background in the entertainment space, Summer shared with me a taste of her quest building a sustainable career in the arts. Personally, I was really curious to know more about how someone prioritized gaming in high school and then got accepted into Stanford and eventually helped sell a gaming company too, as she coins it, The Mouse. Normally, I tell you all that this is an episode you don't want to miss, but this is an episode that I don't want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. So, okay, so, um, so where were we talking? You, you said that you got to Stanford, you're studying computers and math, and yep. um, and so... Were you working at all? Like, what what did you want to be at that point? I know you said you were that you can, debated being the the doctor for the Lakers, right? Yeah. So there at Stanford, similar theme. I was doing what I needed to do. You know, pretty good grades, math, computer science, but and that's in Palo Alto. I took a job as uh, working at an independent record label in downtown Oakland, uh, which was on a good day, forty five minutes away. On a heavy traffic day, um, could be as much as an hour, hour and a half. And uh, that was a record label called ABB Records. Um, we put out records from people like Dilated Peoples, um, Defari, Foreign Legion, uh, Little Brother, which um, was the group that Ninth Wonder came out of. And so, yeah, I was doing, you know, what I'm supposed to do, do and kind of the traditional school path and and a very, I think, you know, employable major. Uh, but I was also flexing kind of the creative juices, working at an independent record label. It was just me and the founder. So kind of did everything from A&R. I actually helped uh, identify and sign Foreign Legion um, to sales, you know, managing all this, all the retail channels at the time. It was still brick and mortar largely. And we put out uh, mostly vinyl records, radio, radio promo, making sure we could get, um, these artists on the air, at least on college radio. And, uh, I also did like our website at the time. Um, uh, so some web design, a little bit of the, what I was learning in school put to work. Nice. Um, and then I became a DJ, college radio DJ at, at the Stanford Station. Um, the entire time I was there, I had a, a, a hip hop radio show. That's where I met my husband, actually. Um, and then uh, stayed on. You know, there's other things I did kind of independently. I would um, promote shows. I threw some uh, shows on campus and brought some of my favorite artists to perform um, at Stanford. And um, And then... I had in my head for some reason, I, I do remember why, um, one of my best friends growing up, her dad had mentioned at one point that I should consider corporate law. I forget why he said, but it, he said, I think he basically said you can make a lot of money. <laughs> and that's always been a motivation for me. Uh, so I had it in my head that I wanted to be a lawyer at the time too. I think there was less imagination. There was less examples of ways to get involved in creative industries. And so at least for the the community I was, I grew up in and people, the adults I was around, it was sort of like become a doctor, a lawyer, 
a business person, whatever that meant, and I didn't know what that meant, um, or uh, an engineer. And I only knew about engineering because my uncle was an engineer at Apple. He was a hardware engineer. So those were like the four things I had in my head. And of those, I decided lawyer. <laughs> it made the most sense. It's the thing I understand. It's only three more years of school. Um, so going through so you school. Went, you went straight in? I went straight in. Yeah. yeah. And even going in, I, you know, I kind of figured out some of the best ways or advice I was given for what would make an application stick out. And a lot of advice I got was um, a lot of people applying for law school will have, you know, done more of the uh, liberal arts degrees. Um, at Stanford, we had it, we called the fuzzies and I forget what we called um, the non-fuzzies, but they called fuzzies <laughs> was the uh, liberal arts degrees. And so they said, you know, you're good at math and you like it. If you major in that, you'll, your application will stick out is different. So that was part of why I took that major. Um, and then I applied to law schools, got into some great ones, um, was given the advice to leave and go somewhere else like Harvard or something. And um, honestly, I loved working at that record label. I loved being a DJ. I had built out a really dope network of people in that music, in the you know independent local music industry at the time. And I just didn't want to leave. So I stayed at Stanford, which is not so bad. It's also a beautiful campus and a great place to spend time. Great. Yeah. So it's, it's it's an amazing you, campus too. I go back um, every once in a while. You know how like, Stanford looks on paper. It's great. Date like I can't believe I spent basically six years here. It's just beautiful. Incredible. You know, it's a really great experience. And and then you didn't yeah, actually yep, have to leave exactly. the state. So you know, you're, you're still close yes, to home. Yes, exactly. Clo or close One, enough, uh, an right? easy flight home. Great. Okay. So so then you did your law degree, and then I remember you telling me part of this story as to where you ended up working in law for the first time. So. Can we let, let let's fast forward a little bit? So you you studied in law. You did Stanford. I guess the duration of your law degree were you staying at the label the whole time and still running your radio station? I did. I think my last year of law school, I stopped working at the label. Um, either the second or second or last year, maybe both. And I decided I just uh, it wasn't too bad. No, the 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 commute was probably the worst kind of time suck. The drive to Oakland. Um, but it was well worth it. And I think in general, I've always been really good at being efficient with my time. Um, and there's certain things that I can just get done quickly. So like school was always a thing that I could do what I needed to do quickly, you know, whether it was the homework, the assignments or studying for tests. Um, I remember a lot of people get really stressed out about the bar exam. Um, and that's another thing for me is if I just see if I see people approaching something a certain way and it's, and honestly, especially if it's causing stress, I try to think like, we already know where that heads. Is there a different way I can do it that fits my personality, you know, rather than saying, oh, we all have to go um, sit in the Barbary class for hours and then go straight from the Barbary class to the library that is suffocating and everybody is in there stressed out and you're feeling everybody else's stress and do that for three months straight, you know? Um, and I thought, I already know what that's going to feel like. And I already know that's not going to feel great. So I did the Barbary classes, which is just, you have to do to get the right information. And then when everybody else shuffled into the library, I went back to my apartment where I had a really nice swimming pool and I would just do all of my extra studying by the swimming pool and then um, a really good friend of uh, my and my now husband, boyfriend at the time, uh, was getting married, I want to say two weeks before the bar exam. And we we just couldn't miss it. Um, and so I took all my books with me to their wedding in Hawaii. And um, as it turns out, I didn't get much studying done. But I think what I did get was like a really clear head and not 
getting in my head about the bar exam every single day. Um, and I passed, I'm not, I don't know if I did well, but I passed. <laughs> so, um, I tend to like, yeah. yeah, I tend to be pretty thoughtful about how I use my time and like, how can I, you know, get to the same result with the least amount of pain. I think sometimes we make tasks more painful for ourselves, just either getting in our head or procrastinating. Um, and I just try to rip the bandaid off and like solve the problem as quickly as possible. And it leaves me more time to solve more problems. I mean, it's 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 very wise. And it's it's sounds like you were always like that, though. You said Summer, when she made up her mind, that was, you know, it's it's not about what can we get her to do. It's just she's she, she's going to do what she's going to do. And as a result, exactly, you're, you're just going to do what you want to do. And at the end of the day, you're like, OK, well, I'm going to do law school and I'm going to work at a record label and I'm just going to make it work because that's what you wanted to do. And the head of the label was super supportive. You know, he knew that this was that law school was a great opportunity. So it's not that if I needed to not go to the office or if I needed to, you know, take some time off that he wouldn't be fully supportive. He was he was a really great person to work for um, for me as well. How, how did you find the label job? Um, they actually had uh, advertised um, to like the Stanford job board. I think they were just looking for college age people. And, you know, the Bay Area has Berkeley, Stanford, St. Mary. They have a few schools there. So I think he just blanketed all of them and I applied. I didn't know anybody. I applied and he uh, gave me the job. So what would you say the biggest thing was that you learned while you were in college working at the same time that then propelled you for the next stage of your career? Um, time management was probably the, the most important. I also around that time started to put to work um, my sister. I have an older sister I mentioned. She's maybe eight, seven or eight years older than me. So she was always um, really a mentor. She always was way smarter than me, you know, about life. She had a much higher EQ than me always. She's very social. I tended to be a bookworm, a little bit more introverted. I'd have a smaller group of friends that I had that I was really tight with, but it was fewer people where she, you know, she was a cheerleader in high school. She knew how to socialize better. And, um, when I was really, when I was in high school, maybe she pulled me inside and said, you know, you're, you're smart, you get good grades, you do all these things. But at the end of the day, like I'm already out in the work world. And what I'll tell you what I'm seeing is being smart is not going to be enough unless you just want to sit in the corner and push papers for other people. If you actually want to do interesting things, you need to learn how to speak to people, relate to people, because it's going to be networks and relationships that help you get into the most interesting opportunities. And it was really college that I got to start exploring and practicing that. Um, and it's just a skill that I continue to work on every day because I am still naturally like at the end of the day, I'm exhausted from talking to people all the time. And, um, and I really do need to sort of curl up in a ball. My husband knows he's like, okay, end of the day, let's give her an hour, hour and a half just to herself veg out on bad TV or whatever it is I need to release. Um, so those were probably the two biggest things from college. It's really, actually, I should say three. So one time management, um, getting even better at it Two, um, building relationships and, um, three, just going for it. I think I also was maybe a little bit more shy and, and afraid uh, to put myself out there. But once I got, for example, that first job, just applying out of the blue, um, you know, didn't know anybody, didn't have any tips on how to get a job at a record label. It wasn't something that, you know, they were, there was anybody at Stanford that I can think of even to this day who could have told me what to say or how to, how to get that. Um, but I got it. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence and then doing well in it, you know, the entire time undergrad and, and law school and building those relationships around the music industry there um, just gave me the confidence to just not be afraid and go after what I wanted. So when you graduated, did you want to stay at the label? Like, did you stay at the label? No. What happened? 
Yeah, no, I um, it, it became a bit of a time conflict um, once I really, you know, I I felt this um, pressure to, okay, maybe those were your fun years. Now you're about to finish school. You know, what is what does the future look like? And um, with law school, there are some very um, regimented ways that you go about getting your first jobs. And um, and so I just started to take that really seriously and did all the things I needed to do um, and ended up getting some really great opportunities. I figured at worst, I'll have these opportunities as um, as kind of a safety net. Um, but at best, you know, I'm going to make the most out of this time coming out of one of the top law schools to try and get the best path I could and and see if it, you know, is is better than what people say, which people do say terrible things about being a lawyer. Um, I ended up uh, ha- actually having great having a great experience as a lawyer, um, and it also, you know, gave me a nice nest egg again to to move with confidence as I went and took other risks in other areas when I did realize that it wasn't the thing I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Can we talk about that experience? So, like, you getting your first legal job, what was that like? Like, I, I mean, I can. I don't know when you got your first legal job, but um, like yeah. my girlfriend at the time, we were living in New York together, and she was at NYU Law, and so I'm familiar with this. This you were saying it's very process, regimented. Yeah, yeah how, how you get into like first, how you get into like the T four, right, the top fourteen schools, and then, and then after that, you you got to go into like one of like the big, one of the big firms. I think the biggest at the time was like Cravath or something like that, and they were paying like one ninety k starting. And so that was yeah. what everyone wanted, but but you know if you fell among the other ones, if you hit if you fell among the stars, you still ended up with like one, one sixty five or one seventy k. Like it was it was still a yeah. really great path to take. So I can understand why you'd want to maybe take a break from the creative side, or you know maybe just do it on the side if you had the time. So what was the process like then for you going to work at a law firm and then? How did that propel your career forward? Yeah, so um, that's probably, again, the most regimented path I'd ever been on. There just isn't a lot of wiggle room for how you um, go down that path. And there are other paths, but for the path I was on, um, the kind of things that people coveted the most were either what's the path to becoming a Supreme Court clerk, um, so that maybe someday you can even you know be a law professor or even a Supreme Court um, justice um, or judge uh, at you know circuit or appellate level, to you know public interest, to um, um, big firms. Um, big firms being like corporate. They also have yeah they have rankings of law firms um, just like they have rankings of law schools, which is odd. Um, like you mentioned, Cravath. I think it's actually not big, but it is exclusive and it's like a boutique it's really it's the it's one of the hardest to to get a job at but it's also you're signing your life away and basically any firm in New York City is going to be more intense than anywhere else so yeah i part of that path is um you try to secure um a summer i think they're called internships um at law firms while you're in school those are paid and um to your point First year salaries at these big firms are very generous, especially considering how very little we know about being lawyers. And they just prorate that for the summer. So as a summer intern making the equivalent of, you know, 150, 165, 190 a year for three months, it's for a young person, it's it's pretty generous. So um, my first summer, I got a um, internship with a firm called Fish and Richardson, uh, which uh, specializes in patents. 
And patents are a particular part of the law where you can only do patent prosecution, meaning apply for and get patents for your clients if you have a technical degree. So again, kind of strategically, 1L summer jobs are a little bit harder to get, but I strategically knew I have the the technical undergrad degree that will make me one of the few that can get a job at a patent firm. So let me go do that and learn about patents. So I spent my first summer at Fish and Richardson in their Silicon Valley office. Um, so clear, close to school, I didn't have to change my apartment or anything. The second year, um, I decided I wanted to go for a corporate job. Like I actually wanted to, I never wanted to be a litigator, but I wanted to do deals. So mergers and acquisitions type deals. And I decided I wanted to do that out of Los Angeles. And so I looked at some of the top firms there. And at the time, I think the top firms were O'Melveny and Myers, Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher, Latham Watkins, Latham and Watkins, um, and maybe Scadden was there by then too. They had very different kind of cultures. So O'Melveny and Myers uh, had actually represented Gore and Gore v. Bush. Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher represented Bush and Gore v. Bush. Like that's kind of, the, and they did have that um, kind of culture, but Gibson and Dun and culture Gibson Dun and Crutcher also had this really interesting culture, where they called it a free market, um, where most law firms, when you start as a first year, they assign you to a department based on their needs. So they might say, "Hey, we need more associates in the real estate group, or we need more associates in the litigation group," and they just assign you there. You don't even really get a choice. Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher had this free market system where they said for the first two years, you're not assigned to anybody. You just have to go around and secure work from the groups and the partners that you want to work with. And then at the end of the two years, you can um, ask them to join their group and they can decide if they want you. So you can go try every group in the firm if you want, if they'll give you the work. And then once you decide what you like, you can try to make sure that you earn your spot there. And I remember the after my day of interviews, they do this uh, strange thing. I don't know if they still do where they basically book interviews for you all morning. Um, you get a lunch with them and then um, you kind of get a signal if you've done well, if they invite you to dinner. It's just such a maddening process. It is very, it can, if you have anxiety, it could drive you crazy. Right. So I remember going down in the elevator at the end of the mornings as people were going into lunches and people were sort of like, did you get a dinner invite? It was just very stressful. It's, it's, it is such a, different job interview process than anything else I've ever been through. So I had a dinner with Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher. And um, I remember they said, you know, most people drop out at about this time because a lot of law, a lot of people who choose the law are actually quite risk averse. You know, like the fact that you get into a certain school can open up the window to a certain firm, can let you get into a first year track and everything's just kind of defined for you. Salary is defined for you, right? If you hit a certain number of hours, you get this salary. If you hit a little bit more, you get this bonus. Like there's not a lot of negotiation or, you know, politics. Um, there's some, but not as much as when it's just, a, you know, completely like you work at Disney and you got to figure it out. So they said most people drop out about now when we tell them how this system works and we see your face lighting up. <laughs> and it was, you know, I think I was always meant to be an entrepreneur. And so that to me sounded interesting, like, oh, I can go through this place and meet all these different kinds of partners and decide who I want to work with and for, you know, that's not going to just be assigned to me and I'm going to end up 
because at the time too, I was convinced that I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. And at the time I didn't even know what that meant, but at Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher, their entertainment group focused on film finance. And that was just good enough for me. Um, so I decided that's what I was going to try to get into. I got placed, I asked to be placed into their century city office. The home base was downtown, but they had a satellite office in century city. And they, they really cautioned first years not to go out there. Cause they said, you should be in the, in the home base where you're meeting everybody. And so the compromise was that I'd be based in Century City, but would spend two or three days a week down. And um, and uh, all the entertainment film finance work was out. Um, so I did my second summer there, um, ended up getting the offer to, to join as a first year. Um, so yeah, I finished my second year summer. The other thing to know about these is when you have the summer job, they don't, in my opinion, give you real work. There's only so much you can do. They have you write memos about topics that maybe they're curious about. I'm sure they're not going to really use it in their work. And then they spend a lot of time just whining and dining you. So the whole summer is taking people out for lunches and dinners and events, you know, golf, spa, um, under the premise, I think of like, let's get to know these people. Cause if we do give them an offer, we're going to spend a lot of time together. So the summers were again, kind of a boon, like you're getting overpaid or you're getting paid a lot. Um, you're not contributing a ton, in my opinion, to real case and work. Uh, but you're getting to know the firm, you're getting to know the partners and the associates who you'll eventually work with. So I ended up getting offers to join once I graduated, either Fish or Gibson. Um, I chose Gibson because I just thought it would be a broader base of work to choose from. And at the same time, in my third year, I applied. I don't have a really great reason for this, but I applied for a federal clerkship. Um, meaning to work for a federal judge. I think this is another one of those things where I just got a little bit caught up in what you're supposed to do. And for people that wanted to go the academic and or judge or a USA, um, a US attorney route, um, that's what they did. And I was working, um, my kind of one of my extracurriculars in law school was something called, um, uh, the, the law review. So it's, it's again, supposed to be like a prestigious thing that people that want to go that path go through. So all of the people I was on law review with, and I had one of the top positions there called articles editors, um, everybody else wanted to become a professor or a judge. And so I just maybe got caught up in that a little bit. So I applied for the federal clerkship. Um, I got it and I ended up working for this judge who's amazing and has become one of the most pivotal people in my life. She was the first black judge appointed um, west of the Mississippi. She was appointed by Jimmy Carter. And she's just amazing. And she had a preference for people to go work for a firm for a year, then work for her, and then go back to the firm. The reason she preferred this is if you came into a federal job with private work experience, she could justify a higher salary versus coming straight from law school to the clerkship. So I went to Gibson Dunn for a year. That's so generous. Um, had an ama She's amazing. Yeah. Had an amazing experience in my first year at Gibson, um, including one funny story where um, I was working for a partner who was kind of like terrified. Uh, Ter he terrified most other associates. I remember there was a woman that worked for him and he would make her cry weekly. Um, so people were terrified of him. him. For some reason, he and I got on famously. <laughs> I think I do well with scary people because um, I was raised by one. Um, and <laughs> I remember he 
came to me and said, we're about to close this deal. It, you know, you already worked on all the diligence with me. You've already shadowed me on all of the kind of term sheet calls. The only thing left now to do is just to close the deal. No big deal. I was a first year, which for context, uh, usually you're not, you're like never even seen by the client, but at the first year, you're certainly not leading anything. Um, anybody said, I ha- I'm going on vacation. And so I'm going to leave you to look over this deal, but I'm going to leave you with Hunter in the downtown office who will oversee everything you do. So don't, you'll be, usually there would be at least one other associate between me and a partner, right? Like at least one, a fifth or sixth year, a third year, fifth year, and a partner is usually how things would be staffed. This was staffed really leanly for whatever reason. And you were, a they first said, don't year. worry, that partner will oversee you. And he'll, that was a first year. And he said, and he'll probably bring in another associate to manage you day to day as well. I was like, great. So he leaves. I talked to this partner once and I'm calling him every day to try to, you know, hey, this is still moving along. This is what I'm doing. Please tell me if I'm doing anything wrong. And he's just not really reachable. Um, he, you know, he answers, but he's like, yep, yep, that's right. Yep. Keep going. And then um, close the deal. Uh, and the partner comes back from vacation and he goes, oh, looks like it all went really well. Um, how was it working with, you know, Bruce, whatever the other partner's name was? I'm like, I didn't really interact with him very much. He said, are you really? <laughs> He's like, let me call him. Calls a partner and the partner goes, oh, I didn't know she was a first year. I thought she was a sixth year. So I just was hands off. <laughs> like I had no idea that he thought this, but I basically was left to, if I had known, I probably would have been, would have made all sorts of mistakes, but like he just kept, you know, responding and saying, yeah, yep, yep, good, good. And he, at the Now that I know, he probably was wondering why a six-year had no idea what they're doing. <laughs> they seemed to have no idea what they're doing. But um, so that was kind of a pivotal moment. And that's why I say, so that's why I always say that I loved my experience there because I got real experience. My partner that I ended up working with the most seemed to really trust me. And he, I think he had a really good perspective. He himself had left the law for a while and was an investor and an executive. So he had experience being on the client side. And I remember when he got back and I was, you know, confiding in him, Hey, this is really scary. Like, could you actually go back over everything and make sure I didn't mess anything up? And he said something to me that has stuck with me over the years. And that I sometimes tell people young, younger folks who I work with to give them confidence. He said, summer, we're not, we're not surgeons here. If we make a mistake, nobody's going to die. The worst that's going to happen is some rich guy is going to make a little bit less money. There's no mistake that you could have made that I couldn't fix. You're fine. And I was like, no, <laughs> I think there's probably truth in that. Like maybe there's some extreme where you make such a bad mistake, someone hurts themselves or, but nine times out of 10, he said, this is just money. This is, we're just lawyers. You're, you're fine. So from there, I went to the clerkship, spent a year there. Um, I was supposed to go back to Gibson after that. And that partner stayed in touch with me the whole, whole time. He kept calling, he kept sending me photos. Here's your office. We got you a nice big office. Can't wait for you to get back. Um, but while I was there, um, the clerkship was a little bit slower paced than the firm. So I had more time for my mind to be wandering. And I called um, uh, my best friend from junior high school. We'd been best friends since junior high and and went to high school together. And um, I called him when I was on the road driving from LA to San Francisco once I was there driving for a while. 
And he, at the time, was really stressed out. Um, He was working and had had a really bad experience with his boss, who was often a little unpredictable. And he said, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And I said, well, we're not getting any younger. (laughs) And we always said that we'd start a business together. So maybe we use this year to start planning to start a business together. And that's how the first company was born. Through that year, uh, his... So he was working in in fashion um, at an event production company. And over the course of that year, a lot of change happened. Um, his boss's uh, client base was diverse, but it was really, really um, heavy in the Gucci group. And in particular, uh, worked really closely with Tom Ford, who was at the Gucci group at the time. And over the course of the year, some things happened and Tom was um, exited out of the Gucci group. And as a result, I think a lot of the existing business for that agency became unpredictable. And so we said, hey, all these other agencies can do it. Maybe we can do it. And um, and so that's what we started. We started a event production company. Um, our first client that we ever um, signed was launching... Um, Adidas by Stella McCartney. Stella McCartney was a Gucci label as well. And, you know, I think it was just a matter of, um, you know, he he was the guy who was one of the people that was doing the on the ground work. And so the other people at the client side who were interfacing with everyday work, they knew he did great work. And so when he said, starting a new company with um, this new business partner, Let's get together. If we hit it off, let's work together. And that's how we started building our client base, um, launched that brand. And then we had to sit down and said, we really, really, really want to work with Tom Ford. <laughs> we really want to work with Tom Ford. He's just like, you know, once in a lifetime person. Um, and so, and uh, my partner was really great friends with Tom's assistant. And so we just touched base with her constantly um, to the point where we're probably harassing her and saying, hey, whenever Tom's ready, we would like to work with him. And she said, well, you know, he's not he's he's doing his own thing like he's you know, he had written a book and just kind of taking it easy. Um, You know, it was a big public exit from Gucci. Um, And uh, we said, we'll do anything. We'll produce a book signing you know, we'll produce, we know he does a private Oscar party at his house every year. We'll produce that. We'll do whatever and we'll do it for free just to prove ourselves. So this went on for months. And then finally, maybe um, I'm not going to get the date right, but it was maybe in November. She called us and she said, okay, he said you can produce the Oscar party. He won't let you do it for free, but he said he could produce the Oscar party. So he did that, obviously put everything into it, every detail, the most meticulous, detail-oriented, brilliant, visionary, creative person I've ever worked with, um, learned so much from him and um, pulled that off and then got a call almost the next day and said, you're right, you guys, um, he's not retiring, (laughs) Um, spoiler alert, and he's actually going to start a brand. And um, the first step of starting that brand is he's got a partnership with Estee Lauder. Um, They're going to take care of a lot of the infrastructure so he can focus on the creative, the marketing. And one of the first things he told them is that they're going to pay you to do the launches. Um, Wow. And so we got to launch the Tom Ford brand. And uh, did did well there so that Estee Lauder saw us and then Estee Lauder became our next anchor client. 
and the company just continued to grow. Um, it's now called, uh, there's a rebrand after I left. It's called CS Global Group. And yeah, just uh, so proud of my partner there, um, childhood friend. He's just crushed it um, and built that into one of the biggest agencies in the fashion, luxury, and beauty um, industry. Wow. So, so did you found this with your high school friend while you were still doing the clerkship? Uh, we started talking about it while I was in the clerkship. And then when the clerkship wrapped up, that's when we, we actually got to work. And then you were, you were focused on this full time. Yeah. And then, so we launched that um, and I left after five years. Okay. Um, and he kept running it. And it's, you know, he's grown it. We went from it being the two of us um, meeting clients at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, telling them, oh, we're in between meetings. We can't get back to our office. Meet us here. We didn't have an office. Our offices were my house in LA and his apartment in New York to eventually getting a really um, amazing big space above Dean and DeLuca on Prince and Broadway. And now he has two floors in that same building. It's just, uh, it's become a beast and yeah, super proud of him. That's very exciting to, to, you know, to see your friend thrive and to also be a part of the story. It's very exciting. What made you want to leave after five years just to change the pace? Yeah. I mean, I think um, largely I came to this time where I was seeing a lot of my colleagues from school doing well in Silicon Valley and I both wanted to get involved in that. And also, you know, I don't know if right or wrong in my head, I said, I don't know if, you know, 10, 20, 30 at the end of the, my career that I want to be running around producing events, or as I thought of it at the time, like running around stiletto heels, uh, pushing rolling racks around New York City. You know, as a company grows, for sure, you're able to build a team that does a lot of that heavy lifting. But it is a services business, so it's very, you know, very client-facing, service-oriented. And I definitely was thinking I want to think about what it is to build a product that's less dependent on me and the limitations of how much time I have in a day to accomplish certain things. Um, and, uh, you know, is there something that I can build that works without me and grows without me, you know, servicing clients all the time? Yeah. So, how, and how old were you when you decided to leave? Um, you said it was CS Global? Yeah, so it was um, around mid twenties, and so similar. Like being a lawyer is very similar, right? The commodity there is your time, and so there's there's just a constraint um, on what you can do, how you can spend your time, how you can balance your life. Um, and so I really got this idea in my head of what is it, what it would be to build products um, or content. And um, eventually, as uh, time went on, CS Global got into content as well. Um, when we first started it, social wasn't really big. Um, but, you know, over time, obviously, the fashion industry is just a completely different beast now. So did you did you have a, like, if you were exiting CS Global, then what were you, you know, what was the next step? Like, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you just want to take some time off? Thanks for tuning in to part two. Stay tuned for part three. Remember, new episodes release every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific. See you there.